And happy post Thanksgiving. We are back. We're back. We're back after after our Thanksgiving hiatus. Fat and happy, I take it. How was your Thanksgiving? I'm fat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know if you're happy or not. You're just fat. Well, there's there's a certain level of misery that follows fat post Thanksgiving. I'm right Guilt, there. Shame. No, just generally uncomfortable. Pants too tight. That kind oh, of that kind of that kind of. Thing. I am going to the gym tomorrow morning, so there we go. Oh. Got to do something. Got <laughs> I went to the I went to the gym on Thanksgiving. Oh, good. Thanksgiving Were you morning. one of like three people there? There, there was about yeah, there was about ten of us there. Oh. There was about ten of us. My gym was open at from five o'clock in the morning till eleven, so I decided to go. In preparation, so for you. but I did not eat turkey or stuffing. Okay. Yeah. So we went out to a really nice steakhouse and I spent way too much money on steaks and, you know, hmm. sides and wine and appetizers. And they're, they're, they, you would love this. The place that we went to is called a place called Steak 44. It's a, you know, upscale restaurant and they had uh, shrimp cocktail. And I kid you not, the, the, the shrimp was larger than the palm of my hand. One shrimp. And oh my God. listed on the menu in order to order the, to order the shrimp, um, you have to order it piecemeal. You have to order it by the pieces. So how many pieces of shrimp do you want? And it's, it was $10 per shrimp. <laughs> but they're... Dude. They are huge. I mean, the, the shrimp were like, I, I, I kid you not. They're just like these gigantic, huge. Okay. I can get a pound of shrimp <laughs> for $8.99. Yeah. There were so, two of us, two of us, and we ordered four. Yeah. Unless the shrimp is the size of my son's tricycle. You paid too much. It was damn near. And <laughs> I ordered four and we only ate two of them. What? Well, because there was bread, you know, they brought bread out too. And, and of course we had the shrimp and yeah. And then it was just, it was, it, it was, it was really good. I won't even tell you how much the steaks were. No, please don't. Cause if you're paying $10 <laughs> for a shrimp, I don't want to freaking know what a strip steak costs you. I don't even, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. It was good times though. It was good. And there was no cleanup. There was no family involved. Uh, there was no other obligation. There was no, you know, there was nothing like that. It was, you know, get up, watch a little bit of football, go to the, 
go to dinner, come back, watch a little bit more football. That was pretty much it. So good times. I've heard other people have similar Thanksgiving traditions or holiday traditions, much like what you're talking about. And they always say the same thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. no, there's no other people around. It was just, you know, just us or just me or just me and the wife or whoever. And there was no cleanup and no mess. And so let me ask, why is all of that other stuff bad? Because as an introvert, it's terrible. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing because I don't, the feeling that I have is all of that extra stuff becomes an obligation. And I know not everybody feels that way. That's just something that I feel. So when family, and I got numerous invites from different family groupings, um, and it's even hard to say no, because there's so much pressure that's put on to, we want you to be here. And, and even when, even when the response is, thank you very much, we already have dinner reservation. We'll come over after or come over before. And then, you know, you can have two Thanksgiving dinners and it's like, I, I, I'm sorry. I just said, I, we have dinner plans elsewhere. So then the whole thing becomes an obligation. And I know for somebody like you, it, you don't feel that at all for somebody like, you know, and that's totally great. You know, I don't begrudge anybody who's like, yippee family. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, I'm just like, oh my God, I don't want to spend time with all those. If I wanted to spend time with all those people, I would have seen them earlier than just waiting until Thanksgiving. Um, it's kind of like people from high school, you know, uh, if I really wanted to hang out with people that I went to high school with, I would hang out with them on a regular basis in rather than getting excited uh, to go see them every once in a while, when they get together for a happy hour or something, it's like, well, if I liked you and I would, I would spend time, I would spend more time with you. I'd make the effort, you know, if I liked you and I want to be around you, then I would make the effort to actually be around you on a regular basis, more so than just because it happens to be Thanksgiving. Sure. And and that's part of the reason why I don't have Facebook. Right. right. Because I don't want to be online pretending to give a rat's ass about, you know, people that I went to high school with that I have not talked to in 22 sure. years. Sure. But, uh, but I'm when not going to do that. Right. But when it came to Thanksgiving, I just, I, I just stuck to my guns and was like, thank you, but no, thank you. We've already made plans. We're doing, you know, we've got reservations and we'll come over before. No, we've already got plans to, for hanging out. The re- or we'll come afterwards for, for de- dessert. Nope. Already got plans <laughs> done. Sorry. Stop asking. Stop pressuring. I already said, no, I'm not going. Right. So, you know, well, and, and it was fantastic. It was great. There was no pressure. There was no family arguing. Every time my family gets together, somebody's fighting about something. Somebody's pissed off. You know, and I, I don't want to be around that kind of an environment. And it's just, there's never, it's never just like a group of people getting together, literally happy and excited to see each other and spending time with each other and then leaving. It's always an obligation and you have to do this and you have to do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And then so-and-so gets pissed at this other person and this person's butthurt and then everybody leaves and it's like, oh, can't wait to say until next year. <laughs> So 
I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I do. I understand where you're coming from with, with, so my mom and dad and my sister, my kid sister came up for Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, yeah. Otherwise we just do Thanksgiving with my immediate family and it's here. We do the turkey and the stuffing and the whole night, all that. But we had them up and it was fantastic. Sure. Hey, Did that's, we make... that's great. Hush. Please. Let me finish. My... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so did I make a mess in my kitchen? Yes. Did we have way too much food? Yes. Was it a whole bunch of chaos and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Was that awesome? Absolutely. For you, it would have. I would have driven me nuts. I know it would have. Yeah. But even yeah. the cleanup, you know, I'm sitting, I, I'm done. I'm fat. I can barely move. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to get dishes done. So I start doing dishes. You know, my mom and my sister are in next to me doing dishes and helping to clean up. Now, while on the surface, that is a huge chore. And it's, you're not wrong. Dishes are a chore. But my mom and me and my kid sister are standing right next to each other in the kitchen, all working together, doing dishes. That never happens. You know how cool that is to actually have No, that? I don't know how cool no, that is. No, I know you don't. I know you don't get that. <laughs> because but that sounds the opposite of cool. The opposite of cool? Yeah, especially Think with my it. mother and my kid sister. Yeah. So let me put it into you, into your head this way. Let me, let me just plant one little nugget and we can move on to something else. Sure, sure. The last time that probably happened, mm -hmm. my mom was supervising me teaching my kid sister how to do dishes. That's fantastic. You take that back 15, 16, 20 years even. Mm -hmm. I, well, probably 20 or more. And here are the three of us are doing that again. We don't have, there's no other opportunity for us to do that. So while I get that it's a chore, I got to look at it and yes, it was a chore, but I, if I turn it and look at it as an opportunity, it becomes a blessing, not a curse. So there, I'm just turning that. It doesn't matter. We could have been you, just, be, we could have been eating. We could have just been saying hello. We could have been, you know, somebody else, we could have hired somebody else to do the dishes. It still sounds like an absolutely dreadful time. If, See, and and where I my get family, where yeah. you're at. And yeah. you know what? I get the arguing family and the drama. I have extended family. That was called Christmas every year. So we yeah. can have this yeah. conversation again at Christmas. Oh, but okay. <laughs> it, the idea of it, is it a mess? Is it crazy? Yeah. But you know what? That's family. And that's what you have. If you can't make that enjoyable and actually appreciate it, then yeah, dude, you might as well go to fucking dinner by yourself at a restaurant and sit there and eat your steak by yourself and yeah. say, well, at least I didn't have a mess. And um, that sounds miserable to me. And no, it was absolutely fantastic. It was, well, it, and, and that's why, that's why I say, you know, I know there are people out there that they, they did that with their families and I love they did that. I love that you did that with your family. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. And I totally get it to do that with my family. Absolutely dreadful, abysmal time. Like I, I, I just, there would be nothing there would be nothing i would be counting the minutes to like okay is it is have i spent enough time where i can leave now you know what your family needs at thanksgiving mm -hmm. me 
No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they no, do. No, they do not. Maybe the maybe the Hispanic side of my family would love you. Yes, that would be that would be true. Uh, and you would love them. That's a great time. That 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 is a great time. Um, but the others, no. Look not at so all these bears in the room. Poke, <laughs> poke. You would poke, and I would immediately leave. Poke. And I'm like, no, 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 back here. No, 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 no. Reel you back in. <laughs> but I love the fact that you had that great time with your family. I think that is fantastic. I do. And and you know what? It's something that I don't have, so I don't even know what I'm missing. If if that if that makes sense, like I don't, yeah. um, I I don't feel like I miss anything. In fact, this year's Thanksgiving was probably the you know last Thanksgiving and the year before and the year before has all has been nothing but obligation. Mm-hmm. You're doing this not because you want to, you're doing it because somebody else is saying you have to come. That meaning me, I have to do this. I have to be present. And that's, if there's one thing that anybody can, can do to turn my brain immediately off is to tell is me I you have, have to. to do something. <laughs> and it's not part of my job. Like if it's part of my job, completely different, right? Sure. When it comes to fun, being part of the forced fun committee group or something like that, and they say you have to, becomes obligation. And I immediately am like, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I know. Mean, <laughs> I, oh, I know. I, so I the, like, well the, the last several years has been nothing but that and has been obligation and it has been a miserable. And see, the, the thing is, is Thanksgivings like that in the past for me have been three, four days of obligation, not just the one day on Thanksgiving, like we're going to show up at one, we're going to have appetizers and eat dinner with the family and then leave. It's been like three or four days of constant activity. And I have to say this year was the best Thanksgiving I have had in probably well over 15 years. Yeah. I believe you. I know how you are. So I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, I, there are moments that I have with my, my family that are absolutely magic for me because they are transformative. I get to look in the mirror and see younger versions of us. I, a perfect example, Saturday, um, before we came back, cause we went down to my mom's, um, and we hung out, had seafood on Saturday. We did a huge seafood bake. I know how much you love all that. So you would have just dug into it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> we did that. We hung out. Um, we, mm-hmm. we stayed Friday night. We were there all day Saturday and we came back late Saturday. Um, and I had my mom and, and, and dad and, my brother and my kid sister and me were all playing cards and we're singing songs and they're ridiculous, terrible comedy songs like tenacious D and, um, uh, 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 Richard cheese and some of these other guys, I mean, just stupid stuff. And we're all singing along being absolutely absurd for mm-hmm. grown ass adults. Right. And I was able to take a snapshot of that in my head and look at all of us as kids. And that's great. And I immediately yeah. lost 25, 20 plus years. And we're all just kids hanging out at mom's table all over again. And there's magic in that. Yeah. And and I think, see, for me, it's it's different because I have two sisters, but they came along when I was 
you know, my second sister came along when I was already in high school. And then my baby sister came when I was out of high school. I was like 19 years old, 20 years old when my baby sister was born. So while I do have two siblings, I didn't grow up with siblings. I don't have those kinds of connections that, that you have. So not that I miss that. I, I, because I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm missing. So for, for me, there's like, well, I don't have any basis for comparison for all intents and purposes. I grew up as an only child, right? So I don't have those kinds of moments where I look back and I see, oh, this was all of us. Like when we were five, six and seven, you know, sitting around. Um, and that's totally great. You know, I'm not saying any of that. Nobody should pity me because I, I'm not, like I said, I have, a, I had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I had a, like, so like, it was great. I'm just saying that for me, those kinds of, those kinds of family get togethers, um, just absolutely just dreadful time. No, and I get it. And you know, my mom, you talked, was it last week? Well, technically the week before because of the holiday Mm -hmm. about the matriarch of the family, bringing everybody together and all that. That's my mom, hundred percent. She knows it and we all know it. Um, And you know, my brother and so my brother actually started high school after I graduated and my kid sister started kindergarten after I graduated. So we're pretty far apart, but even still being there. And actually, I think a big part of that is my mom being able to see the look on her face, watching all of us be absolute children, adults, but children and goofballs. Um, you know, it, it does. Sure. It stretches back to, to earlier times. And it's just that's something neat. And I love that I have those. And I really do appreciate that they are in small doses. Because I love my brother and sisters to pieces, but I don't think I could handle them every day. That's why I moved away. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things that I think is is interesting. Um, I know I've known a lot of different families. When the the matriarch of the family passes away, the family just disperses into the wind, mm-hmm. and that happened. At, that ha- I saw that happen in my own family when my grandmother passed away. Um, and I saw it starting to happen when my great grandmother passed away. So when my great grandmother was alive on Christmas Eve, the entire family. So keeping in mind that my great grandmother, she had seven daughters and each of those seven daughters got married and had lots of children. Right. And then those children had multiple children. So at Christmas time, because my great grandmother was alive, all of those seven families would come together and there would be, you know, 80, 90 people and everybody would bring all of their Christmas presents to a a single house and there would be food and there would be a huge celebration that would start about four o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Eve. And then at midnight is when we would start passing out all the, all the presents and everybody would open all the presents and you'd leave at like two o'clock in the morning. Right. When my great grandmother died, all that went away. Yeah. All that just kind of went into the ether and all of those families just celebrated Christmas in their own sides. And then, so there was, you know, one of those seven families was, was my, you know, family with my father and my aunts and uncles. And then when my grandmother died, my great grandmother's daughter, when she passed away, all of that just kind of dispersed. Right. And so 
<clears throat> I never see those those family members anymore. And and I've seen that in other families with other friends that I've had sure. when their grandmothers or their mothers pass that there's that the siblings, et cetera, go off into the ether and then they never see each other for a long time. Do you think that that's going to be something that would happen that will happen with your siblings when your mom passes away? Probably even given it any thought. Yeah, no, it's after you and I talked about it, like I said, two weeks ago, I mean, and we've said that before. Yeah, that probably will. And, and I say that from experience, I guess, because, um, well, my, my grandparents had four kids, um, one boy, three girls. I grew all of us, all of the kids and grandkids with the, those four families would come to my grandparents' house, just like yours, for Christmas, for Thanksgiving, for, you know, what a boxing day, whatever. We always got together. Mm-hmm. And all of all of us cousins, I mean, there's 40 of us in total, you know, and that's just one one real family separation. I, I mean, we were all very, very close. I haven't seen those cousins in years since um, my grandmother passed. Now, my grandfather passed a year prior to that, and that actually started it. I I do believe our family was a little bit more patriarchal than matriarchal in that sense. Mm -hmm. But when my grandmother passed, that was it. I mean, that was, it's done. It's kind of, it's pretty amazing to me to think about all of the conversations that the matriarch or the patriarch, right, of the family must be having with everybody else throughout the year, right? And and fighting, because I'm sure when, you know, when grandma calls, calls up the, you know, the, the daughter or the, the son and says, you're going to be here for Thanksgiving, right? You know, that there's probably, oh, mom, I don't want to, I'm sure the grandma had to battle all of that on the phone and know you're going to be here and why aren't you and play the guilt trip card. And so, oh, yeah. you know, the, the amount oh, of energy, yeah. the amount of energy that must go into no, 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 the family over time has got to be Let- pretty incredible. Let me illuminate, let me, let me illuminate you on how these conversations go. Cause you have the same conversation. You just do it a couple times and you have a general script. So perfect example. Let's say I'm my mother. Who's doing this? Jason, you're going to come to Thanksgiving, right? Well, mom, I don't know. You know, we got to, well, all right. Well, your brother and your sister have already said they're coming and, you know, your other sister is probably going to be here. I don't know how long, but, you know, everybody else is going to be here. Even if not, your kids, well, I'm sure, would love to see their cousins and it would be good for them, too. Boop. Pause. Move over. Talk to my brother, Justin. Hey, Justin, are you going to come for Thanksgiving? Well, I don't know. Well, your brother is coming and your sisters are coming sure, and their kids sure. and your kids are actually would really be good for them to see it's the their same cousins. conversation. It's the right. same one. Right. And all you do is you just go, you plant the seed and let them fight mentally amongst themselves about how they don't want to be the one asshole who's not going to show up because everybody else is, even though nobody's committed to a damn thing. You just say that. And then next thing you know, everybody shows up. 
Right. Well, and I know that happens with every family, but I'm just saying from, from my perspective, as, as, an, as an individual who doesn't want to talk to anybody on the phone, that seems like a tremendous amount of energy to, be, to expend just in making the phone calls and planting the seeds of guilt and desire in people's heads. Right. I understand that. But you don't even like to call me. Right. I don't even like yeah. to call you. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not a good example. This is not a job for you. Let's just no, put it, it that way. It is not a job for me. <laughs> Being a patriarch of a family is not a job for me because no. because I would just be like, do whatever the F you guys want to do. I don't give a crap. That is a responsibility that will so. fall on the potential whoever future maybe misses Dr. Ramirez. <laughs> <laughs> See, my thing is I would I would get it all done and out of the way. You want your inheritance? I'm only going to say this once. You want your inheritance? Well, then you know what you should be doing. If you don't want your inheritance, do the opposite and I will and I will plan accordingly. And then I would never have to have a conversation again. And then people would either show up and they'd bring me food and they would take care of me and all that kind of bullshit. But see, this is why I don't have children, right? So That's I can't guilt a, anybody. A reason, <laughs> not the reason. You cannot sit there and tell me that this is why. No, this is a reason why. Is, well, yes, it is a reason why. It is part of the a, list. Don't. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to talk. We're going to actually talk a little bit about that tonight, which is doing the right thing and why people don't do the right thing. But before we get into that, I do have a couple of other things that I want to share with you. Okay. Show me other things. So. Uh, this one, I, uh, well, I, let me just, let me just, have you ever been at, to a restaurant and, um, and you see a roach on your table? Has that ever happened? No. What, what would you do if you're sitting there? Like here's this woman, she's sitting here. I think her cheat, her t-shirt is a picture of herself. Is that? <laughs> Now that's epic. <laughs> I think that's what's happening here with an, with a bald eagle on her shoulder. I'm not exactly sure what's happening here, but if I was if you were seated at a table like this and you saw a roach crawl across the table, what what would you actually do? Because my leave. my reaction is just simply leave. I'd probably leave. Yeah. I I I say probably because I I, I don't know. That's never happened. There no, I'm leaving and I'm not even asking for the check. I'm just no, I'm, walking out. out. And if, if they ask me, I'm just saying there was a roach on the table. I'm out. Yeah. Here, okay. well, let me put, let me play her reaction and you can judge it for yourself. This woman just grabbed her right boob and beat the ever-loving piss out of a roach <laughs> that crawled across her menu. I don't think I would do something like that. I, well, I know I wouldn't do anything like that. I'm ill-equipped, for one. <laughs> I, I, no. No, 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 no. 
No, so no. I, well, here's here's something else I have for you. Um, oh, just moving. All right. Yeah. yeah well, you know what? Ball. What else can yeah. you do? You, nope. you beat a you beat a roach with your boob, or you know you get up and walk out. I would get up and walk out. Um, <laughs> she she just, <laughs> she just pissed at that thing too. I know she, she was angry. Just hit it once. She, she was, like six seven times. Bam, right? bam, bam, and she then. Smack she was angry, like, how like, dare how you dare interrupt you? my chips and salsa this is, a, this is good damn salsa, you stupid freaking roach. Right, right. So I have another story here. Um, okay. I'm just going to read it. There's no video to play for it, but uh, it's, it's pretty amazing here. A 480-pound woman charged with involuntary manslaughter after husband died while performing oral sex. It just keeps getting better, right? Like... But listen, listen to this, listen to this story. An Ohio woman, of course, she was in Ohio An Ohio. I'm surprised not in Florida, but whatever. An Ohio woman has been sentenced to involuntary manslaughter after her spouse was found dead minutes after he had performed oral sex onto her. Annabelle Gaston, Gaston, I don't know, 28, was arrested last year after calling 911 when her husband, Erwin Gaston, 31, had a cardiac arrest while apparently being suffocated to death. Gaston told the 911 operator at the time that she was sitting on her husband's face while he was giving her cunnilingus when she realized his skin had changed color. I have questions already. I have questions. Like, was he not trying to tap out? What? <laughs> Tap, tap, tap. I need off. I need. <laughs> and, and why was it a good idea for a 480 pound woman to sit on her husband's head? You know what? I do not judge any couple, regardless of shape, size, or anything else, on what they do in the bedroom. But as we've said here recently, you F around, you find out. Yeah, after he, well, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. The story is not done. Quote, <laughs> quote, we were having sex and he started eating my uh-huh. pee. P word. word. Yeah. Yeah. Word. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting on his face for like 25 minutes when his legs turned a greenish blue color. She told the 911 operator at the time in horror. According to Gaston's lawyer, Erwin Gaston Gaston liked to insert his head inside my client's vagina and, quote, my client warned him on multiple occasions that it was a dangerous practice, end quote, he told the judge. Franklin County District Court Judge, wait a minute. (laughs) Did you ever watch Futurama? Ever? No, no, I no? never. I never. So did. if I said uh, "death by snoo snoo," you wouldn't know. What I that no means. idea what. The, <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I have not watched Futurama. Well, I have said for a long time: if I ever commit an atrocity which causes me to be sentenced to death, I think it is my right to choose how I go. Death by snoo snoo. Death by snoo snoo. Okay, well, maybe that's this. I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume it is. But he liked to insert his head. This is the lawyer talking. 
liked to insert his head inside my client's vagina. I heard you. I did. Remember Beetlejuice, the movie? (laughs) No, seriously. Yeah. Remember Beetlejuice? You remember yeah. when they're down? I watched the it once. Room? It was a dumb movie, but yeah, go ahead. It's a dumb movie. I, uh, so what? <laughs> <laughs> they're in the waiting room, you know, mm-hmm. down in the um wherever they go when they die, because it's not Purgatory. hell, it's just some, some other place. Purgatory. Um and everybody looks like an exaggerated version of what happened to them when to they died. Life, when they died. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think his head looked like? Did it look like the little shrunken head guys? Or was it bloated trying to gasp for air? Because, you know, that doesn't always work the way you think. Well, I think it would be purple and bluish Uh covered in slime. (laughs) (laughs) They were fluid bonding. Yeah. Yes. They were definitely fluid bonding. It goes on here. Franklin County District Court Judge Henry Miller sentenced Annabelle Gaston to 10 years and six months after he judged her sexual practices, quote, extremely dangerous behavior, end quote, and a, quote, completely reckless conduct, end quote, for a woman of her size. Wait, wait, no, hold hold on. Now, I'm, I'm disturbed by multiple parts of this situation. Uh, and rightfully so. I don't think we need to get into detail. Mm-hmm. But are you telling me that this lady was actually sentenced to 10 years in prison because of that? That's what it says. I mean, he could have given her time off. I mean, it doesn't say whether or not she got probation. It just that it got at least sentenced and that goes on her record. I don't I don't know. You know as much as I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I Again... To just have extremely dangerous sexual behavior doesn't, it's, to me, that seems like there would be more like premeditated murder is why you would sentence somebody, you know, involuntary manslaughter, you know, something like that. Um, Not, or maybe that's just the, maybe that's like the addendum that he cited because the, 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 the story does start with she was charged with involuntary manslaughter. So maybe she was sentenced on involuntary manslaughter. And then those quotes are just like extra stuff that the judge said in scathing rebuke of the young woman. I don't know. I'm only, I'm only hypothesizing here. I, uh, yeah, I gotta, I have a, I have a problem with that. I mean, it, it definitely takes two to tango in this situation. I don't believe for one minute, this guy was coerced in any means. I consider this very, very different than let's say, um, ladies who, or, or men for that matter, who like to be choked during sex. And there have been multiple cases of that where they have died. I understand there's a correlation here, but um, let's be honest. You're, you're diving literally head first down underneath 490 some odd pounds. You're kind of putting yourself out there. You get what you get. And well, let's, I let's, can't blame just her for that. And I'm right. I, I don't well, agree let's, with let's just admit that there's a lot to this case and we know a sliver of a fraction of a percent of what happened. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly <clears throat> um, absolutely admit that unless you yeah. chased him down the hallway and jumped on his back um, and then sat yeah. on him. That, who, who, for that all we know, be, there was a yeah. life insurance policy on him and she killed him with her pussy. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Seriously I, say that? <laughs> 
Well, it, I the the article said. I think that. it's important to point out at this point yeah. that the expressions and views and opinions expressed by Doctor Ramirez do not amicably re- represent those of the Fusion Underground as a whole. Dude, the, it was the article <laughs> that said it, not me. I just I just reiterated what he, what actually happened. Oh, what should I have said? Vagina instead. Maybe that would have been better. Uh, yeah, that would have been be, better. At least a been. hell of a lot less crass. <laughs> Dr. Ramirez. (laughs) The article goes on. Oh, please. To To prove this, the prosecutor showed documents attesting that paramedics took at least 12 minutes to release the head of Erwin Gaston from the inside of Annabelle Gaston's genitals. That's how dangerous her sexual practices were. The time of death is estimated to be 17 minutes before the 911 call and 59 minutes after Erwin Gaston's head was removed from the inside of the defendant's genitals, he said in court before delivering his sentence. Erwin, an addendum to the story here, Erwin Gaston was also hospitalized last year, only weeks after the couple's honeymoon after, quote, large amounts of fecal matter had entered his lungs during oral anal intercourse, according to a medical report. (laughs) 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 He inhaled poop. While eating her bum. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. You gonna be all right there? I don't know. Why have our conversations turned to eating feces over the last couple of weeks? This is disturbing. When did we talk about eating feces? What? Are, I don't even. I don't even remember. Did we? we you talk do about not eating? remember the lady who didn't understand why it was a problem that she was putting poop in her husband's oh. food, and why he was getting <laughs> upset about it? You really don't remember that? I remember now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I almost threw up then. Yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. Here, you watch Saturday Night Live, don't don't you? Or did you at one point? I used to a long time ago. Back Uh, when they were funny. I've never actually watched Saturday Night Live. I've only ever caught clips. I just never thought that uh, Saturday Night Live was funny. But they actually did this clip like two weeks ago, and I thought it was pretty funny, and I thought we'd play some of it. Um, this is a skit titled Republican or Not. Okay. Now, let me just let me just hit the play button here. This is Brady. Now he's gonna make a few statements. Ring in as soon as you're ready to guess, Republican or not. All right, Brady, give us our first clue. I think Facebook is evil. Oh wow. Um, because they're spreading disinformation or because they banned Donald Trump? <laughs> not so easy, is it? <laughs> Maybe we need another hint. I would say you do. I buy all my produce straight from a farm. 
because you want to or because you have to? I don't know, Miss Ohio. You the expert. <laughs> Keep going, Brady. I respect pro athletes who stand up for their beliefs. Which athletes? And which beliefs? Who knows? Could be her or him. No guesses? Okay, then. Give them the last clue, Brady. God, I hate cops. Okay, he is not a Republican. Oh, sorry, so close, but no. Brady is indeed a Republican. No, but, but he said he hates cops. Yes, but he was talking about these cops. <laughs> yeah. Well, better luck next round. Let's meet our second guest, Lacey. Lacey came here from Manhattan. Uh, New York City or Kansas? I can't say. <laughs> Stop the clock. On Twitter, my pinned tweet is my body, my choice. Uh, okay, that's a trick. She's talking about vaccines, right? Oh, if we only knew. <laughs> Another hint, Lacey. I support Caitlyn Jenner. In what way? <laughs> Politically? Y'all doing great. Doing great. And give us another clue. Okay. My favorite comic is Dave Chappelle. Starting when? <laughs> I love my job. All right, give him another one. Last month, I went to a board meeting and complained about a book being taught in my daughter's school. Okay, I definitely know that one. She's a Republican. No, sorry. What? She was complaining about a book in her kid's school. That's right. And that book? The Bible. I actually thought that that was pretty, uh, pretty well done for, for them. Uh, oh. make, making fun of themselves as, as, well as, uh, as well as Republicans. I, I liked that. Well, good. <laughs> You did. You obviously didn't find it as humorous as I did. No. I, I, I actually, I actually thought it was funny because they were for for once. Saturday Night Live was picking on everybody simultaneously, and that's what I liked about it. Is that they were willing to pull the veil back and say, you know what, we're going to poke fun at at because they're all liberal. We all know that, um, but we're going to poke fun at, at liberals while we also poke fun at Republicans. And I thought it was, I thought it was very well done in terms of just looking at the craziness the the clown world that exists because it it's an it's another illustration of the the clown world that we live in that two groups of people you can look at the exact same kind of idea like the idea of banning books mm -hmm. and and both sides have books that they want to to ban but more importantly what i think this takes away which is not necessarily funny to me uh, I just saw it as a regular takeaway is again, the importance of having principles. Yes. No. Um, and, and that, that's what I was seeing the whole, the whole time I was watching it is look how far we have fallen. We can't even figure out what side of the argument we're on. Cause we don't know where those arguments are coming from. So we can't even have a discussion about the arguments for face value. Exactly. And I and that's while that's I think supposed it's... to be funny, I'm actually I'm weeping over here. Like and how see, sad. I I was there where you were about two years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And, and now I see all of this kind of stuff and it's no longer, I, I, I can't look at it as sad anymore. I have to look at it for what it actually is. We live in clown world. And, and for the first time, I was surprised that Saturday Night Live was actually shining a light on the clown world that we live in. And for that, I applaud them. I think you're giving them way too much credit. Uh, I'm that's, could, that's I could I could very well be. I could very well be giving <laughs> them very, very too much credit. But I also think that that there might be some and again this could be giving them far too much credit, but I think that I think that Saturday Night Live has been embattled for so long that they find somebody finally said, "Hey, let's actually make fun of everybody and not worry about pissing off one side or another because for the longest time, all they've done is try to poke fingers at the Republicans. They never poke fun at anybody or anything on the left. And here they were, which tells me somebody is saying, let's just have a little bit of fun. I think I, again, and I I hear where you're coming from and, and you are right. It does that, but I think they're still trying to actually poke fun at the Republican Party, because of course they are. a lot of the groups that are out there right now are using those same arguments and they're doing it on purpose. Yes, mm. there's a lot of Republicans fighting back saying, my body, my choice. What the hell happened to that? Well, if you can do it, I will. And that's what they're actually poking fun at. Not at the idea that, uh, well, maybe there's holes in this logic and I guess it goes both ways. No, I don't. I don't. I don't buy that. Well, I, I and you. I do, I do because it's right there. I mean, they're they're poke, they're showing that the same the same target is is actually depending on how you look at it, you know, it, it's it's either a sacrosanct thing for the left as well as a sacrosanct thing for the right, um, and and I'm glad that they finally have done that because you you know I think in order to get through life you have to be able to make fun of yourself. And yes, they're making fun of Republicans without a doubt they are. But for the first time in probably 12 years, they're making fun of the left. And not not that this is going to make me change my mind and watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I still think Saturday Night Live is a bunch of garbage. Um, but I was like, it's, it's one of those kind of things where like, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Sure. Right. Where enough time has passed where they've actually poked fun at the left while also poking fun at the right. And for that, I think I say it's about freaking time. And what's, what's amazing to me is they, that clip has garnered a tremendous, because a lot of Republicans look at it. Look, as a Republican, I love being able to laugh at myself. I know a lot of conservatives who also laugh at themselves. You know, humor is one of those kinds of things where it humor works really well when there's a kernel of truth to it. And, and you have to be willing to laugh at yourself. And for the longest time, liberals can't laugh at themselves. So that's why it's so much fun to poke them. Look, the conservatives say my body, my choice, because the left says my body, my choice. Sure, exactly. That's why they do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's those kinds of things where conservatives have been shining it back on liberals for so long that finally somebody at Saturday Night Live said, you know what? let's just do it because it's actually funny if we poke fun. And for that, I think it's very well done. We're good. Yeah. So, and here's, here's an example of, here's another kind of example of, 
you know, leftism sort of sort of run amok in this country. Here's a here's a woman who she she tweeted this out. 2017 versus 2020. She's got these two pictures here. The, the one picture on the left, she's got blue hair. And the picture on the right, she's got normal hair, normal dark color hair. So blue hair, 2017, dark hair, 2020. Thank God for what he did those in those three years, he being God. I stopped hanging out with people who were bad for me, letting them influence me, self-harming, being anxious and depressed, listening to music that made me feel terrible, being angry, being lukewarm, looking like a clown. And she's actually happier for that. We yeah. have a lot of people in this country, particularly on the left, who love being miserable. They yeah. love not making fun of themselves. They don't look at themselves. They don't do that self-reflection to say, what the hell are we actually doing to ourselves? Mm -hmm. we, have a, we have a large amount of leftists who literally want to live in depression and with anxiety, and they want to live a miserable existence because it aligns with their politics and it furthers their political agenda. Right. And well, and, and I, I especially look at being angry because I see that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, people who are overwhelmingly angry people. And ultimately, I believe that they are very miserable and depressed people, but they refuse to face that or, or, aren't allowing themselves to face that because they revert back to being angry and pissed off at everybody all of the time. Um, and it's a very self damaging and self injurious behavior because even rage will subside eventually. Um, and unfortunately what, what you'll, what you tend to find is when that actually does, you've hollowed so much of yourself out you're going to feel very lost and probably not know who you are yeah. because you have given yourself up so much and so much of who you are just to that, that, that rage that you don't even know what makes you happy anymore. I'll give you, I'll give those listeners an example of, of the anger that I think we're talking about or an example of it. Um, because I know there might be liberals who will listen to this and they're going to say, I'm not always angry. I'm like, yeah, you are. Yeah, For you example, are. Yeah. so many liberals are angry when it comes to who and who does not pay taxes in this country. Sure. Yep. And year after year, liberals will always rage against the against the quote unquote wealthy, the rich, the one percenters. How many times have we had to hear make the wealthy pay their fair share? Sure. And what they don't understand whether it's because of willful ignorance or because they just choose not to is when they say, when Congress, when politicians say make the wealthy pay their fair share. And it, when they're, when they're saying that they're talking about increasing income wages and most wealthy people in this country don't actually have income the way you and I do. They don't draw a paycheck on a W-2. They have other investments and things which return them money. And when Congress says we're going to raise taxes on the wealthy, what they're saying is we're going to raise income taxes on the wealthy. Well, that only works if you're targeting a lawyer, not, not, and most of the times not even a lawyer, because many of the times those lawyers are running private practices. So they're running things as a small corporation. Um, but you're targeting people like uh, like a, a surgeon who actually is drawing salary from um, from a hospital, for example. 
very few wealthy have that. And yet, even if they do raise taxes on those people and, and those small number of people that are drawing a W-2 paycheck, see their taxes go up. As an angry liberal, you're never satisfied because you never see any, any change. You never get any of that wealth deposited right. back into your account. It never changes your life at all. And yet the, the surgeon or whomever that you think got their taxes raised, guess what? Their life continues to go on just as normal. And so your anger at them and at the world and at the tax code continues to permeate. And the best thing to do is say, why are you angry all the time? Let it go. Raising taxes on somebody else is not going to change your life at all. Well, and, and oh, taxes is a great example. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. But ultimately, when you look at somebody who's anxious or depressed or angry or just generally unhappy in their lives, you know, they say that misery loves company. Yeah, but it's got to be right near where you're at. And it's at very short lived when you're angry at, let's say, the wealthy for them being wealthy. You're not mad at them for being rich. You're mad because you're not right. And so by tearing, let's say you actually are successful in tearing down. Well, I don't know, Jeff Bezos, you actually tear down his entire empire of wealth. You're you did it. You took him down. You're still not wealthy. You're still anxious, depressed, and angry, and sad, and focused on all the shit that you don't have. You are no better off for that. You're going to continue on being miserable. Right. And then you're going to have to find someone else. What if you actually were successful in eliminating all of the wealth in the world? You got rid of it all. Is that going to make you any better? Not going to change no. your life at all. And do you really think stripping all of that wealth and all that money and all that joy and all that happiness and all of that other stuff and the, the wonderful life that you think they have by stripping all of that away from everyone else who has it but you, who are you going to give that to that's going to actually distribute that to you so that you can finally be happy with your life nobody there is nobody and if you think you have an elective government of any kind no matter what you might dream of that is going to be able to take all of that and give it to you you're not going to be happy with it well because they're you know, not going to give it to you either that's a perfect example that that those pictures between that that young woman is a perfect example of somebody who finally said, I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to stop being anxious about the world. And I'm going to do what I can do to improve and live my life well. And look at her. She looks completely she's different. Beautiful. And now she's beautiful. She's happy. You know, and, and she's no longer angry and she's no longer anxious and she's able to live her life. You know, one of the things that liberals place a lot of their anger and their anxiety in is the environment, for, an, for example. You know, most people do not realize that in Europe in 2018, today, uh, well, actually in 2018 in Europe, emissions, carbon emissions are, were 23% below 1990 levels in Europe alone. In the U.S., 
carbon emissions fell 15% from 2005 to 2016. <laughs> and yet during that same time, and even today in 2020, we have people on the left who are angry about so, so-called environmentalism and climate change. And we have people on the left that are calling for strict carbon emissions. And this is a correction that, that countries, and or I should say continents really in this case, have taken on their own without massive government forcing them to do so. And another thing, in um, here's another from um, US and Britain, um, their carbon emissions from electricity alone have been astonishing in their in their drop in their dropping rate. Twenty seven percent emissions carbon emissions have dropped twenty seven percent in the U, in the U.S. between two thousand seven and twenty eighteen just from electricity. Right. So when you're talking about electricity, what are you talking about? You're talking about burning oil. You're talking about burning coal. Mm -hmm. And so many people, so many, especially liberals today want to shut down coal plants because they don't believe that they can burn coal in a way that is clean and reduces carbon emissions. And yet here in the United, United States, we have been able to burn coal to produce electricity and reduce carbon emissions by 27%. In the UK alone, they were able to reduce the same carbon emissions to generate electricity by 63% between 2007 and 2018. So why do liberals continuously want to be angry and anxious when these kinds of things are happening? I think they don't know it's happening because the media doesn't tell them, they, their sources don't show them, don't show them the information. And yet somebody's going to listen to us, right? You know, not tonight, we're recording, but when they listen to the podcast, there will probably be liberals that will say, no, that's a lie. Well, I, you know what? No, I, I would say even if, the very first reaction they hear is, yeah, but it's still not good enough. It's still not enough. Because hey, if you say, well, no, that's a lie. They don't know that. You're right in that regard. Nobody's really talking about it. No one's showing data. No one's actually putting it right in front of their face. But they know that it's worse now than it's ever been. They know that. They know that in their head, in their heart. So it must be true regardless of the data and so it still must not be good enough because if it was good enough we would see and know a difference we wouldn't have to look for it it would be all around us we would know it right i mean that's kind of the idea the world would be just so much better we would know that we've made an absolute positive change but again that also in order to know that we're making the positive change you would have to look at other types of data for example, since they've started counting trees just in the past 50 years, hell, even in the past 100 years, the number of trees in the Northern Hemisphere have more than, have more than uh, tripled than when they first started counting. Mm -hmm. But yet you can't tell somebody on the left that because to your point, that's showing them, look, there are literally more trees in certain areas, but people are not going to believe it because it creates this cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. and that cognitive dissonance, they have put so much weight into believing that the world is burning, is on fire and we're all going to die. And they've put so much energy into being angry and being anxious over these things that for them to release that, 
means they have to fundamentally transform. They have to fundamentally transform their thinking, which means they have to fundamentally transform who they are and become something that they've never been before. And for many people, that is a very scary thing to do. And I think that's part of the reason why, especially particularly on the left, people refuse to stop being angry. And it, I have no idea why this young woman decided to not be angry anymore, but something happened to her to change. And in order to drop that anger, something has to happen to you to make your eyes wake up. Yep. And that's hard. It's very hard. It's, very it's difficult. difficult. It takes a lot of energy. And most of the time, the easiest path is the one that people take. And, and I, I can't, I mean, at surface, at face value, I can't hate on everybody for just taking the easy road all the time. But at some point you have to realize that the easy road can tend to take you down a very wrong path. And if you're miserable, you have to figure, you have to make the decision to change something for yourself. You cannot rely on the world to change your life in a positive manner for you. You have to make that choice and decision to do it. And the first part of that is you have to release your grudges with the whole freaking world for your life. If you are in a miserable place, you cannot hold a grudge against the entire frigging world because of it. Here's, here's an example. Here's, here's an example of this kind of, of this kind of hatred. Um, let me play this for you. Listen to me, Republicans, listen, you are the people in history. They warned us about, they warned us about people like you. Pay attention! We're losing our democracy! Wake up! Wake up! There, there's no changing her mind. She, wow. there, you, people like you and I cannot have a conversation with her. No. We, there, there's, there's no reason to have any kind of a conversation with, with, this, with this type of woman with this woman in particular, or, or other people like her, um, because there is, there is such a tremendous um, emotion attached to what she believes, that any kind of information that is contra to what she sees in her reality creates such a severe cognitive dissonance that she, can, she refuses to even, to even acknowledge it. And so this is where I think it gets to kind of the topic that I wanted to talk about, which is doing the right thing or why people don't do the right thing. The right thing to do in this kind of situation is to think about it mm -hmm. and to open your mind to the possibility that maybe you're, you're, you're wrong um, and, and to stop looking at your political ideology as if it were a religion. Mm -hmm. And and yet people refuse to do that. That would be doing the right thing. Right. But instead, it's so much easier to hold on to that and to make a video 
like that we just witnessed where she's literally screaming at people like you and I, she's screaming at you and I, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she, she is terrified. She said that was her words. I'm terrified at the very beginning. Right. Right. You you know, and, but this is just kind of a, a, kind of an example that most people cannot for whatever reason, and I want to explore that a little bit. Most people cannot do the very difficult task of self-reflection so that they can figure out what is the right thing to do and to do that. Well, and I, and self-reflection is a, it's very easy in concept. It is incredibly difficult in practice. Most of the time when people say that they've done some self-reflection or they, they try that exercise, what they end up doing is looking for rationale to back up why they either are have done what they've done or are or will justify what they want to and are therefore going to do it's it's much the idea well i want to i want to go get a new boat so well okay i need to look i need to reflect on this is this something i really need well no i know it's not a really need of course it's not a really need but I look at what this could add to my life, you know, and we're talking about times and, and um, memories that I could be building with my family. And it's going to add some other things that we can do together. And you know what, it's not, it shouldn't chunk into my budget too much, but I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice for them because that's what's important. And so now you're actually building a case just to justify what you want to do. I want to go get a new damn boat. Not, is this really something that is going to be of value and the right thing to do based on my finances, my living situation, my job, all of those kind of things. Now, I know that that's not an exact example when it comes to self-reflection as an individual and your own personal development and growth, but that's at least something tangible I think most people can relate to. When you try to actually look at yourself where have i erred as a human being am i being rational in my own life where have i allowed my emotions to overtake my my head you know i mean those kind of that kind of introspection is overwhelmingly difficult and ultimately very painful because you are going face to face with your own dark side that most people don't even want to admit that they have. It's a hell of a lot easier to say, you know what? I know I'm right. I don't care what they say. I'm just going to do what I need to do because I know who I am. Right. And I don't think most people do know who they are until they actually stare into the abyss of, of who they are as an individual. Everybody has a shadow Everybody has a shadow side of to themselves and you don't fully know who you are until you are able to look at that shadow and recognize the shadow for what it is. And most people avoid that. Um, you know, when, when, when doing self-reflection, part of the, one of the things that is very difficult for, and one of the reasons why people don't really do self-reflection, you know, most people, when they think about something, I'll use your, your example of, you know, buying a boat they they want to buy the boat and so most people most people will think about buying the boat just in terms of their desire to have the boat what they don't do is to do what is to do the heavy lifting 
of trying to prove why they should not buy the boat. And, and the reason why I say that is because if you, if you lay out all the reasons why you should not, then you're able to assess each one of those things and still be able to at least look at this laundry list of reasons why you shouldn't do something. These are all of the things that are going to be bad for you or how they're going to destroy your finances, destroy your budget. You know, where am I going to put it? You know, create all these problems. Now I have to maintain it. All of these things, right, that, that go along with buying a boat and how that's going to change your life. If you're able to face all of those things and still come away with, yeah, I'm willing to accept all of that, but I still want to buy the boat then guess what? You're going into that decision with eyes wide open. Right. But most people don't want to look at that laundry list of reasons why they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. They don't want to try to prove themselves wrong in their decision. They just, they will ignore that. Even though they know it in the back of their minds, they will ignore it just for the gratification to go over here and do this thing. Right. And so, and I think that's part of the reason why people do things for the wrong reasons, or they literally will do the wrong thing because they think they're just acting based on what is their own immediate gratification. And they're being very self selfish in that way. And so their decision becomes one rooted in selfishness, as opposed to assessing how this is going to affect not only their life, but everybody else's life around them. And then making, and then maybe modifying their final decision going into, you know, maybe I just rent the boat when I want it. You know, I, I told a, a um, friend of mine this once, I said, you know how, you know, when somebody's doing something, they know they shouldn't or buying, I, I think I was referring to buying something that, you know, they shouldn't, they always say, because I deserve it. Right. That's that, that is an actual, but I credit anybody that says that because they've actually know in their mind that they shouldn't. Right. And maybe and you did, maybe you do deserve to buy something like that. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. And you know what? There's a lot of stuff I deserve to probably get <laughs> that I still don't that you because I, I just, that's whether I deserve it or not, you know what? That's irrelevant. Right. Whether I should or not, that's the difference between childhood mentality and adult mentality. Right. A child looks at something. I got my homework done. I've done my chores. I've been a good boy this week. I deserve my allowance or my ice cream or to go play with my friends. And that's how I rationalize doing all of that stuff as a child, yeah. as an adult. You don't deserve shit in life. I mean, you may feel as though you deserve it, but that does not mean you get it. And that's a huge difference in mentality. And unfortunately, I do believe that that right there is a big part of why we are at odds with each other right now, because there is a lot of people, especially in this country, who feel as though they deserve a lot of stuff and a lot of things. And I'm not talking about just material things, but even like what we were talking about before I go to work, I pay my bills, I pay my rent, I work hard. I love my family. I love my kids. I, you know, I deserve 
to be happy for all of that. That doesn't mean that it's given to you. And therein, I believe, lies probably the key between those people who are genuinely happy in life and those who are not. I got news for you. There is a very, very, very small percentage of people in the world, let alone this country, who literally have had the silver spoon put in their mouth from birth. And that has also equated to happiness in life. Well, and, and even if somebody says, well, but Jason, I'm going to go buy the boat. Nobody's giving it to me. Sure. What, what I, what I would counter to somebody who would, who would say that to me is yes, but what are you sacrificing in the process? Mm -hmm. So what are all of the things that you are not going to be able to do? Because this is, you, you know, when you spend your dollars in one way, right? There's an opportunity cost in doing that, meaning you're not going to be able to do other things with those same dollars. And if you go and buy this boat that, you know, that costs, I don't know how much a boat costs, but let's say it's a uh, $200,000 for a boat, right? Depends uh, upon the boat, I guess. I guess, right? <laughs> like a car. Yeah. So you go buy this boat and you're going to spend $200,000. And there are two, there are other things that you're not going to be able to spend $200,000 on. And so if you, make that list. Well, I'm not going to be able to take the family to Disneyland for vacation. And I'm not going to start that trust fund for my, for my kids college education, right? I'm not going to be able to do these things. Then what, and if you still at the end of the day say, well, I deserve the boat. Mm -hmm. So therefore I'm going to buy it. What you are saying in that moment is I value having the boat more than I value all of these other things that I'm going to lose out. I value the boat more than my college, my, my kids' college education fund. I value the boat more than taking my family on their summer vacation to Disneyland like we talked about last year, right? I value this boat more than all of these other things. And if you can, at the end of the day, say that, yes, I recognize all of those things, but I'm still going to do this. At least I would have respect for you in the sense that you know what you're getting yourself into. I'm not going to have any sympathy when your marriage falls. No, apart. I have, I have no empathy for you when it all goes to hell in a handbasket <laughs> and you're face to face with a boat in an empty house. But right. at, least, at least you went <laughs> you in eyes wide open. This right. is the bed you made and right. you knew that. So well, and so when you talk about any kind of investment, whether, and so we'll, we'll just keep with the boat. I think this is good for everybody to wrap their head around. There is actual monetary value attached to that, a monetary cost, but there's also an implied, I think it's implied cost. There's another worm term for that, not in uh, when it comes to value, intrinsic versus anyway, doesn't matter. So the implied cost of that is also um, other things like that, that do not have an actual monetary amount, like um, time. Well, you bought a boat, not to have a beautiful boat in your yard or in your driveway, but to actually leave and go out. Now you are going to be camping and boating, maybe even fishing people, which means you're going to go do that often, perhaps more often than you even anticipated. 
in your mind, at least to get the value out of what you've just put all of your, your actual money towards. Now you have to take time off of work. You have to um, sacrifice those other vacations like to Disneyland. You can't go to Disneyland this weekend or that weekend because, well, you guys are going camping and fishing or you just went. You can't take more time off to go do that. Um, if you're not going to have it, are you going to store it elsewhere? You know, those kind of it's all of the extra stuff that goes along with that, too. You have to try and take account for. And unfortunately, that's why. Well, drive around your neighborhood. How often do you see a boat or a camper or a motorhome or those kind of things? And they're always there. They're never gone. And it's not probably because they're broken down. It's because you don't have all of the extra stuff, time, ability, willingness. You know, you're like, to hell with it. I don't want to go camping and fishing and boating and all of that kind of stuff because I'm tired. I've been busting my butt for two, for, you know, solid over the last how many months? I just want to sit on my butt and watch TV, football games on, you know, or whatever it is. So those kind of things come into play too. Yeah, I think I, when when people when people don't do self reflection, and even though even people who do do self reflection, one thing that I think that they um, that they overlook is when you're about to make a decision, and you we typically make a decision because we think that the decision we're going to make is going to create some sort of value in our life, or it's going to fix something that we perceive to be wrong mm -hmm. in our life. You might say, well, I'm going to go buy this boat and maybe all of, maybe I can still take the family to Disneyland and I do have plenty of vacation time to do all of these other things, right? But what we don't do and what people need to get better at doing is to think about all of the problems that are going to be created with this new fix. Now, you might think, well, I'm solving a problem. How am I creating any, how am I creating a set of new problems? Every problem that you're solving will create additional problems. For example, there was a time in this country where, where homeowners, you lived in a home, apartment, whatever, you lived in a home, you had to deal with your own trash on your own. Mm -hmm. You had to pick up your trash and you had to take it someplace, take it to a local dump, whatever. You had to do that on your own. Okay. But then cities came along and said, you know what? We are going to do this for you. We are going to implement trash service and we will pay city workers to come pick up your trash. Okay, fantastic. That solves the that solves the problem. Now, as a homeowner, I don't have to deal with my trash. But all kinds of new problems come up. For example, how are we going to get the money to actually pay for the trash collectors to come get the trash? And we have to have trucks now. So now we have to go and solve that problem of how we get trucks. And now we have a problem of trucks are going to break down. So how do we fix those trucks? And what if a truck actually hits another vehicle or damages property? Oh, we have to solve that problem. And what do we do with plastics versus papers? Well, we have to solve that problem. When do we actually come to pick up the trash? That's another problem to solve. So just because you make a decision doesn't mean you've solved all the problems. It typically means you've solved a problem or maybe a couple of problems with your decision, but you're also introducing change, which means you're introducing new problems that you're going to have to fix. Like when you go buy the boat, yes, I now I'm going to spend more time with my family until I learn that my wife doesn't want to have a boat. 
or my wife doesn't <laughs> like going on a boat because she gets motion, she gets motion sickness. Yeah. Right. And now she's mad at me for spending the $200,000. Right. Now there's a whole new problem. I have wife aggro that I have to deal with. Right. And, and so now that's a new problem in me trying to solve this other problem over here right. by buying a boat. Right. Right. So we need to think about what are the new problems we're creating in solving the existing problem with the decision that we're going to make today. Yep. And that's, that's not just buying the boat. Correct. I mean, that's storing it, fixing it. Right. Right. All of that, insuring it, mm -hmm. towing it. What oh, if what, yeah. I have a little car, I'm not going to pull a boat with behind my little car. You know, I'm <laughs> not going to, now I got to go get a bigger I vehicle. I got to get a big truck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention your HOA will not allow you to store a boat. Exactly. And you, forgot, you didn't even think about that. So now you got to pay for, you know, Marina Bob's, fee and, um, or, yeah, or know, something. boat and RV storage down the right. way, which, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, and did you know pack rats are a thing and they love all of your shit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, I'm not saying, no, you're not allowed to have a boat. Nobody should have a boat, but is that something you should do or is it just something you want to do? Right. And, and do you accept do you all know of the consequences? How to do, tell the difference? Right. Yeah. You know, and let alone how do we do you even know how to drive a boat? <laughs> yeah, that's everybody's like, well, it's just like a car, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, what a couple of weeks ago I was watching a video um, by Robert uh, Robert Jordan Jordan Peterson. Sorry, I always I always want to say Robert Jordan. He was the he was the author is because they both have Jordan in their name. Yeah. Um, I was watching a video with Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and um, I think he was in Australia. This was a couple of years ago. And a woman in the audience who didn't like him, you could tell like her body language. She was just like, you know, um, she just did not like Dr. Jordan Peterson. And, you know, Jordan Peterson is basically saying basically his message is take care of you first and foremost. Just take care of you. Don't worry about anybody else. You know, who are, who are you to worry about everybody else right now? Right. right? The average, and he's talking about the average person in the world. Joe the Blow on the you? street. Right. You're in no position to worry about what the hundred million people in the, you know, in your country are doing. Just worry about, focus on you, make your, your, your life well. Um, and so this woman in the audience didn't like his type of philosophy. <laughs> And so she challenged him and said, you know, what are the young people today supposed to do, particularly in trying to solve things like, cli like climate change, right? Environmentalism again. But he retorted with this concept of just focus on, you know, she, she was basically, she basically asked, what, what are you going to tell all these young people now when they're so concerned and anxious over the environment? What are they supposed to do to fix the environment? And he said, focus on yourself. That was his response. Focus on yourself. And I thought, you know, he, while I think that was a good, that was a good uh, re response to her. I don't think it went far enough because she sat there and her arms were crossed and she's just shaking her head while he's talking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And which means she's not buying any of it. Sure. And I thought, you know, what, what Jordan Peterson is saying is absolutely true. But what this woman is not recognizing, because he didn't explain it very well, is that if you focus on yourself, 
and you can make your if you can make yourself a better person and the people you interact with those interactions you make better mm-hmm. that becomes very contagious in the world yes. Yes. and then other people want to do those kinds of things they it goodness perpetuates goodness and sure. morality perpetuates morality not with 100% of the people you come across but you'll you'll be surprised how many people if i come in if i interact in a professional or moral way with people they are much more likely to want to act morally not only just with me but with other people that they interact with and so now just by focusing on myself just focusing, you know, if you just focus on you, you start to spread that to other people. And that is how the average Joe, like you and I can create so much positive change in the world is by focusing internally on, on us. We actually emulate what we want to be in the world and other people pick that up and, and they want to improve and do things just as, just as well. For example, I was telling you this before we got on the call, you know, I go walk my dogs and I see dog crap all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, you're supposed to pick up your dog, your dog's poop in my condo complex. They even put little trash cans and they give you um, plastic bags. And yet people don't pick up after their dogs. Few people do. I see some dog owners will, but there are many dog owners who will not pick up their, their own dog poop. And yet when, when somebody sees it, then other people will say, well, if, I don't have to pick it up. So I'm not going to pick it up or they didn't pick it up. So I'm not going to pick up my dog's poop. Right. And so it can start to spread. So the opposite can happen too, where if we're, if we choose to do the wrong things, even if nobody's around, we leave poop where we we made that decision in in essence, right? right? We live, we leave residue of our actions and other people can come along. They may not see that it was you, Jason, who didn't pick up your dog. They just know, well, somebody didn't pick up after the dog. So I'm not going to pick up after my dog. I'm just going to let my dog crap wherever it craps. And that can perpetuate out as well. So one of my, one of my old mentors used to, used to tell me that negativity was contagious and it spread positivity is actually a repellent right if you're overwhelmingly just positive and happy-go-lucky and everything's bliss it actually pushes people away because they it just feels fake it feels wrong that doesn't feel genuine but goodness draws other people in so it's interesting when you were talking about goodness actually spreading, there's a huge difference between goodness and positivity. Sure. I'm not, and I'm not picking on people who are overwhelmingly positive, but that doesn't spread the same way you or I are what we're talking about. Right. When you are a living, breathing role model for people around you, not because you're trying to impress somebody or you're trying to put on a show for somebody you're not virtue signaling about the whole world should be at peace and we should all sing kumbaya that's not real but when you are a genuine good person and you have a good found moral foundation and believe me that actually it doesn't just emulate other people are attracted to that 
I think of the people that I, I genuinely look up to in my life. They're good people. Are they perfect people? No, No, no. I don't believe in perfect people. They don't exist. They're good people. I see how they interact with others. They are good hearted, moral individuals. And I want to act like them. I want to be around them. I want to take life lessons from them and implement them into my life and, and have that spread to my kids. That's how you can make the world a overwhelmingly better place is by focusing on what makes you and your immediate. I talked about this sphere of influence, I think last week, what in your immediate sphere of influence can you make better? And that's small. It's a small sphere, not a big one. No matter how much, how globally minded you think you are, your sphere of influence is probably not very far outside of your own four walls of your house. And and it is really amazing the the individuals that live a very upright and moral life because they want to for their own purpose, for their own self-fulfillment and their own self-improvement and all of that those individuals, they become a shining beacon for other people who want to emulate even a, even a portion of that. Mm -hmm. And if you think about all of the different interactions, a typical human being has with other people throughout a day, even if it's just going to, you know, going to a coffee shop and getting a coffee, the way you interact and treat those people can have a very, can have a lasting positive impact on that person, even if for that day, for just that moment, you might give somebody, you know, if you treat them with dignity and respect and, you know, and kindness, they might've been having a shitty day and you've given them a little glimmer of hope that gets them through the rest of the day without having a nervous breakdown or something else. Right. And yet that person can then take that feeling and have, have their faith sort of renewed in humanity and they can go off and then they're in another interaction with somebody else, they have a positive change on that person. So, you know, when, when Jordan Peterson, when he's saying, you know, focus on yourself and improving yourself, that's really what he's talking about is that begins to permeate through. And, and the fact that this woman sat in this crowd shaking her head tells me she doesn't believe that she either she doesn't understand it or she doesn't believe it right and so she doesn't she's not thinking that that kindness that goodness that moral certitude becomes infectious with other people and other people want to be like you if you live that kind of moral life and that is that speaks volumes for change you know, mo- too many people think that in order to enact change in the world, you have to put together a charter and you have to get a group of people together and you have to, you know, have a building and you have to have rules and regulations and, you know, a vision statement and all this kind of stuff. And and no, you don't. You can make such a tremendous change in the world by just focusing on being a better person. Right. Um, terrible. Terrible example, but I'm going to use it anyway because I love throwing them out there. But um, um, Michael Jackson sang that song, uh, Change, or The Man in the Mirror. Mm -hmm. But that's what that was about. 
right, right. Changing the world by starting with a man in the mirror. And I know it sounds really corny and it is, it is really corny. That doesn't make it not true. Right. And unfortunately that's probably the hardest thing for anyone in this world to do ever in your whole life is admit honestly that you have a whole lifetime of work ahead of you on changing yourself and trying to become a better person every day than the one you left. And you cannot go into that with spite in your heart. I'm going to be different and I'm going to be a better person because they're sure as hell not. Well, guess what? (laughs) You're not going to get very far. Not really. And, you know, like you're talking about with this lady asking a question, she's not genuinely, this is the hardest part about introspection. You have to be honest in asking a question and open to the answer. You can't ask a question seeking the answer you want. Right. You have to be open to the answer that you don't want to hear. And I, that's tough. If you've never gotten an answer to a question you really didn't want and had to live with that because you, you know that that's the right thing to do, that's, that's tough. It's probably one of the toughest things I think adults have to go through in their, in their life is recognizing that they are probably their own worst enemy. Yeah. Because when you recognize that you are, then that puts all of the onus back on you to address that. And I got a newsflash for most of you out for everybody out there. You are, you are your own worst enemy in life. Everyone is. If you can accept that, then you can actually work on yourself, which will improve your entire life around you. Right. And, 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 you know, living in that, that, uh, that moral certitude, living, trying to live that principled moral, moral life. Um, the difficulty with that, not necessarily from a personal standpoint, but something that you have to recognize is you're not always going to see how your goodness, um, gets disseminated or, or, populates the rest of the world it becomes invisible and i'll i'll go back to the the example of picking up dog crap if if people see that there's dog crap on the street on you know in the in the neighborhood here the assumption is nobody picks up their dog poop that's the assumption right because there's dog poop right there so it's very easy for people to draw the wrong conclusions and for bad behavior to to propagate by just one or two people not, you know, doing the right thing where, where they're not doing the right thing. And so, you know, the, the dog poop that I see when I rock my dog, you know, that might only be from two or three people walking their dogs, two or three dog owners, but there might be 30 dog owners who live in my condo complex. Mm-hmm. And yet they all, you know, the, the 27 of them actually pick up their dog poop. But the perception for a lot of people are going to be like, wow, there's dog poop all over the place. So I'm just going to let my dog crap here anyway. Right. So the negative, the negative things become much more easier to see, which allows people to do the very easy thing, which is to just perpetuate the same 
toxic or bad behavior. What's more difficult to see is the goodness that permeates in the world. But if you have somebody, if you've known somebody who's a legitimately good person, moral person, just focuses on becoming the best person that they can be. And if they happen to pass away, go to their funeral and you'll see the tremendous outpouring of love and support that that person has infected when, when just tons and tons of people show up at their funeral. Only then does it become apparent like, oh my gosh, just how much of a positive influence has this person had on other people around them? It, you know, and then, and then those people, those people know other people that don't know the person who died. And if those people are trying to emulate the deceased, then who knows how far, how much further that stretches. So good as it, as it perpetuates throughout the world, isn't always as noticeable as the, as doing the wrong thing is, is noticeable. Sure. Yeah. Those are, those are things you don't, and I don't think a lot of people get to see in their lifetime that effort come back to them, even in a recognizable fashion. It's funny you mentioned a funeral because I, you know, two of, of the men in my life that I try to emulate most is my dad and my grandfather. And I cannot tell you how many times I have said to myself, well, would my dad be proud of me for doing this? Would my grandfather approve of the way I handled that? You know, or things like I didn't do that when they were alive. Why? Probably because I had them to go to, to talk to, but yeah, you're not wrong. I think in, in death, it's a, it's a culmination of, of someone's life and um, who they are as a person. And we, we create a, I guess, kind of character of that person and say, I don't believe that my dad or I don't believe that my grandfather would uh, be also proud with how I'm handling this situation. I need to take a a minute and do some introspection on what's going on with this right now. You know, and it's those kind of things that if I have a, a role model to look to as an example and something tangible, I mean, I, I can say, well, what would Jesus do? But I mean, if I have an actual tangible role model right in front of me or someone that I know, um, there's a couple brothers that I think I could mention to you who I believe are overwhelmingly good people that show me who I want to be as a husband or as a father or, you know what I mean, as a, as, as a Mason or whatever it might be, I can look to those. I'm like, those are the kind of men I want to emulate. How am I not like them? I can look at trying to emulate the good behavior, but if I don't focus on eliminating my own negative behaviors or negative habits, then I'm never going to attain um, any kind of self-enlightenment for myself. And that's tough. It's tough. And bad habits usually feel good. We enjoy them or they're just pure laziness. They take zero effort. That's the bitch part about about development and introspection and trying to be better as a human being is all of that stuff takes work. It's not easy. It takes 
effort. Doing the wrong thing is always the easiest. Doing the right thing is always, always the hardest, almost always the hardest thing to yep. do. Yep. Today. Typically when you're faced with a decision left or right, and you know, the left path is going to suck. That's going to be the hardest one. I can tell you 98.9% of the time, that's probably the right way to go. Well, and, and we and 90% we don't, of the time we go, fuck that. I'm going to go right anyway. Well, and we don't, you know, it takes, if you want to get stronger, you have to go to the gym, you know, you have to work out. Um, and when you do that, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Your body's going to be sore, but that's, you're not going to, you're not going to get stronger by sitting on your couch, eating bonbons, you know, so to do the right thing of often involves um, challenge and trials and pain to some degree. Um, and, and the sad thing is, I think we have, we are raising a generation or maybe two generations of, of people where we're encouraging them not to face the difficult things in life or, and, and what's happening is they're not able to get better because they're not challenged. They're not told to suck it up and persevere. They're not, uh, it's not expected that they struggle and work hard to accomplish something meaningful that we have literally created an environment, created a world or trying to create a world where younger generations don't have to be bothered by difficulty. And what kind of people does, are we, are we creating in the process? Um, I think we're creating, we're creating a new generation or generations of people um, that are not going to know how to operate in the world. And at some point, those individuals or that those generations are going to be the next leaders of our society. And where does our society go at that point? That's anybody's guess. Um, and it could very well be a very scary proposition for, for those of us who believe that, you know what, just hard work goes a long way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yep. All right. Well, I think we talked about this one long enough. It's late. Okay. We, and uh, we got to get, uh, it is late. <laughs> it is late. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, you can catch all of our stuff off of our website at fusionunderground.net. Oh, and we didn't go through, uh, I need to pull that up because we do have um, questions. Yes, we need to go through our emails. We, Damn have, it. Qu- we have questions of people. So we'll try to get to that next week. Do we have one? We can just zip no. through maybe no. oh, okay they're actually no. in-depth questions yeah so we're gonna all right yeah, each all right question okay. is, you know it's a five ten minute conversation from, okay from that stuff alone so, so then apologies but in all seriousness promise rain check we will hit all of those yeah. next week we'll try okay? to get to them next week all right so, all right well for thank you everybody for jason moret i'm Manuel ramirez you've been listening to the fusion underground peace Have a good night, night.